Hello, I'm Kyle Caldwell, and this is On The Money, a weekly look at how to get the best out of your savings and investments. Before we get into this week's episode, I have a small favor to ask, which is to please take a few seconds to hit the subscribe or follow button in your podcast app and leave us a review or star rating. We'd really appreciate it as it helps to get the pod into as many ears as possible. Now back to this episode, in which I'm joined by Sam Benstead to talk through early bird ISA investor ideas. Given we are at the start of a new tax year, which comes with a fresh £20,000 ISA allowance. So me and Sam are going to run through the best performing investment trusts since ISAs were introduced in 1999, the funds that professional multi-asset investors have been buying, the standout fund sector for value investors, and some investment trust bargain ideas. But first, Sam, I'm going to ask you to think back to a recent article you wrote for II and run listeners around the world in eight funds. Before I start, I think I'd just say that you can invest anywhere in the world, basically, from the comfort of your home in the UK. And you can do it very cost effectively. And, you know, investors in the past never had those options. So I think it's really exciting that you can go around the world in different funds. And I did a story on this. I spoke to a lot of experts and I picked out eight funds from the Super 60 list of recommended funds that give you exposure to exciting different parts of the investment universe. So I'll just go through a few of the funds that came up. One of them was the MAN GLG Continental European Growth Fund. So quite close to home. It's investing in European companies, but European companies that have a quality growth focus. So good, established, profitable businesses that are also growing, but you have to pay a premium normally for those types of companies. And it earned things like LVMH, the fashion house, L'Oreal, the, the beauty company, and Novo Nordis, which is a drug company. Another fund that came up, well, a trust in this case, was Fidelity China Special Situations. So that obviously invests in China, and fund manager Fidelity likes finding companies that will profit from China's emerging middle class. So that's a very exciting area. Another trust that came up investing in that part of the world was the Pacific Assets Trust. So it can invest across Asia, but actually prefers Indian equities to Chinese equities. And like the, the Man GLG fund, it looks for quality companies, so companies with established business models rather than more speculative, immature companies. Another emerging markets trust, which is a bit more of a one-stop shop and invests across emerging markets, so including Latin America, Africa, is the JP Morgan Emerging Markets Trust. Um, that's a very popular fund on the platform and is also Super 60. And then finally, I just mentioned the Artemis US Smaller Companies Fund. So that invests in companies in the US that you probably won't find in an S&P 500 tracker. So it might be, it might be something you hold alongside the S&P tracker, which is a very cheap way of accessing American shares, but actually paying a bit more for an active fund manager to find promising companies that, that you might not have heard of. And to finish off that list of eight funds were Aberdeen Global Smaller Companies, Bailey Gifford Shin Nippon, which invests in Japanese shares, and Henderson Smaller Companies, which invests in smaller firms listed here in the UK. And in terms of overseas funds and investment trusts, there's obviously um, plenty of uh, choices out there. There was a recent study carried out by the Association of Investment Companies, which looked at the number of investment trusts that would have made investors an ISA millionaire. So there's 28 in total that um, would have achieved this feat. And um, the majority of them do invest overseas rather than investing in the UK. 
So this research by the Association of Investment Companies, it looked at you know, an investor that invested the, the full ISA allowance since 1999. You, know, you, you would have invested nearly £300,000. And then it looked to see which investment trusts, if you only invested in that investment trust, would have made an investor over a million pounds with dividends reinvested. Now, of course, I don't think anyone will have done this because I don't think anybody would have just invested in one investment company and also had the sort of luck or foresight to pick one of these 28 investment trusts that um, have hit the seven figures mark. And also another point to make is since 1999, the vast majority of these investment trusts, they will have changed for manager once or, or, or a number of times. However, it is a useful exercise as it does show the power of um, long-term returns. And of course, since 1999, there's been um, a couple of stock market crashes, including the, um, the tech boom and bust, global financial crisis, and of course, the recent COVID-19 pandemic. Now, amongst the top performers in this 28-strong um, list, technology was a key theme, particularly for the, um, the top five performers. So HD Capital, this is a private equity investment trust, um, invests in unquoted software and technology services businesses. That was the number one performer over that period since April 1999. Pacific Horizons, Bailey Gifford managed Asia Pacific Investment Trust. That was the, the second in the list. And then this was followed in fair by Scottish Mortgage, which of course invests globally but it's a very growth-focused mandate that has lots of exposure to technology. And then also in the top five are Allianz Technology Trust and also Aberdeen Asia Focus, which is the outlier there really because it doesn't specifically or have a huge amount of exposure to technology shares. The other key theme is that of the 28 ISA millionaire investment companies, 13 invest in smaller companies. Four of them are from the UK, smaller companies sector, which are BlackRock, Frogmorton Trust, BlackRock Smaller Companies, Rights and Issues. This is now managed by uh, Jupiter since last September following the retirement of long-standing fund manager Simon Knott. And the fourth one from that sector is uh, JP Morgan UK Smaller Companies. And as mentioned on the podcast before, historically over a very long time periods, such as you know two decades plus, well over two decades plus in this case, smaller companies, they have historically outperformed larger companies and um, this data shows that once again as well. Investors can also take inspiration from um, how professional multi-asset investors are investing at the moment. Sam, you recently spoke to um, a couple of the most sort of well-regarded names in this space recently. So what areas of the global stock market are they looking at? What are the sort of value opportunities out there at the moment? Yeah, I did. And it's, it's interesting because these are these are teams of people which spend their whole day looking at funds. They've got big support teams and they're investing money on behalf of clients which pay them to do so. So great to see what they're investing in this year in, in their ISAs. I'll just go through a few of the funds that, that came up. So the first one was Artemis Income. This was a pick from Morningstar and it invests in UK dividend paying shares and yields about 4%. It's been managed by Adrian Frost for more than 20 years and it's beaten the market over that period. At the moment, its larger positions include BP, AstraZeneca, and the London Stock Exchange. Federated Hermes Asia X Japan was the choice of Isabel Jinjul of wealth manager Brooks McDonald. She was arguing that the reopening of China and some domestic economic growth would be great for this fund. And yeah, she was, she was backing this economic bounce to really kind of boost profits in companies in 
in Asia and, and, and China in particular. Another pick was Polar Capital Healthcare Opportunities, which invests in smaller but higher growth companies in, the, companies in the healthcare sector. And these include firms at the forefront of curing illnesses such as diabetes, cancer and neuromuscular diseases. And the final fun pick I mentioned was Jupiter UK Dynamics, selected by Robert Burdett, who manages a fund of funds for fund manager Columbia Threadneedle. This fund buys smaller UK shares, which is said was an area that is really cheap at the moment because they've been sold off heavily by investors who are worried about the economy. But he argued that actually, you know, when you look at a sector that's had a horrible year, that is often followed by a really great year for a fund. So actually, yeah, he was very optimistic and past performance being, being disappointing is actually one of the reasons why he likes the UK smaller company sector at the moment. And he's not alone. Um, in conversations that I've had with other multi-asset fund managers, the smaller company sector does seem to be the one that um, a lot of the professionals are viewing as a potential buying opportunity at the moment. And, you know, at the, at the moment, the small company sector it does stand out like a sore thumb. I mean, you know, if the, you know, in 2022, it was a memorable year for this part of the market, but for all the wrong reasons, you know, a stagnant economic growth, high inflation and higher interest rates. So that led investors to reduce risk, which caused share prices and valuations to slump. And as smaller company shares, as they're more domestically focused than the mega cap names in the FTSE 100 index, investors sold off this part of the market. At times when economic growth is um, stagnant or falling, it is the high risk smaller company part of the market that tends to be more sensitive and is sold down. But you know, as, as mentioned, um, there's been quite a few multi-asset managers that have been increasing exposure to this sector. It's not just a case of um, smaller company fund managers talking up their own book. And I've had conversations with some um, multi-cap fund managers as well. You can invest across companies of any size and they do seem to be increasing exposure to the smaller company part of the market. And, you know, the, the reasons why now could be a good, good time to buy on the cheap is that, you know, a lot of fund managers make the point that the underlying operational performances of smaller company businesses, they have been meeting expectations. So the fundamentals is not the reason for the sell-off. It's, you know, it's been driven by investor sentiment. And um, I've also saw an analysis that um, shown that company management teams have been putting their money where their mouth is, which is a good sign. Their interests are aligned with um, investors that are looking at the sector. I would say though, that if, you know, for people that are sizing up UK smaller company funds, there's an important thing to be aware of. Well, there's two things I'd say. First one is that some of these funds, investment trusts, they have a significant exposure to mid-cap shares. So those listed on the FTSE 250 index. So this is because some fund managers, they like to run their winners. So when, you know, if a share gets promoted to the FTSE 250, then they'll retain the holding because of that. And I've seen instances in the past where some smaller company shares have entered the FTSE 100s. They've grown to much bigger businesses, but they've been retained by smaller company funds. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with this. You know, I'm quite on the fence really um, in regard to it. But what I would say is if you, know, if you think smaller companies are cheap and you want genuine exposure to that part of the market, then it's maybe better to seek out a fund that is, you know, that is purely investing in smaller company stocks rather than running the winners when they get into the uh, mid cap index. And the other thing to bear in mind, I'd say, is fund size. So um, smaller company shares, they are less liquid than larger company shares. You know, I've had conversations with fund analysts and um, 
They don't like to put a figure on it, and um, they especially don't want to be sort of quoted on it. They, they do tend to be wary of a small company fund when the assets are around one billion or more, because this, this at this point, a UK small company fund may start to become constrained, and they may have to have a greater exposure to mid-cap stocks in order for their liquidity profile to, to be stronger. And in terms of UK smaller company funds, we have a couple in our Super 60, which you may wish to take a look at. So these include um, Fidelity, Special Values. So this isn't a out and out UK smaller company fund, does have a decent amount of exposure to that part of the market. And there's also Henderson Smaller Companies, which is an investment trust managed by Neil Herman. You may also want to consider smaller company funds that are investing in value stocks as a way to play the sort of tricky economic backdrop. One fund that invests in this way is Aberforth UK smaller companies. In terms of other potential bargains, um, investment trusts, due to the fact that they can trade on discounts or premiums, they offer investors the chance to potentially buy low. There's lots of investment trust discount opportunities at the moment. I think there's more discounts above 10% than, than, than I would usually see across the whole universe. I suppose the standout one, Sam, is Scottish Mortgage, you know, one of Britain's most popular investment trusts. Do you want to explain why that discount is much wider than usual? Yeah, so this is definitely the standout one. And the discount is, is it's at double digits at the moment. It's been at a 10% discount on, on average for the past 12 months. And it's been widening recently. And a lot of that's to do with, um, with sentiment li linked to the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank in the US. So it didn't own shares in this lender directly, but it's affecting the, the startup ecosystem and confidence in, in venture capital and and how long startups can really keep going without making a lot of money. A Scottish mortgage, though it doesn't invest in really early stage companies, it does own 50, more or less 50 private companies. And a lot of them are unproven and unprofitable. Um, you can look at some of the biotech names or it owns a company called Lilium, which is a flying car company. So it really is exposed to the more speculative moonshot part of the investment world. So those private companies are at 30% of its assets and investors are basically saying by knocking shares down to a large discount that they don't believe the valuations that Bailey Gifford are putting on these private companies. They think they're worth less than what Bailey Gifford states their value is and therefore they're opening up this discount by, by selling shares. However, this discount is rare for Scottish Mortgage. It's got an amazing long-term record Tom Slater, one of the managers, he's been there for a long time. There's also Lawrence Fletcher, who's got more than 10 years of experience at Bailey Gifford. So for those investors that you know want to be greedy when those are fearful, it could be a bargain hunting opportunity. I would stress that you need a long time horizon to invest in Scottish mortgage. And there could be a number of years ahead where actually the shares don't move anywhere. But what I would say is that once sentiment turns, it could rise very quickly. And the sentiment turning could be linked to could be linked to interest rates coming down and inflation, you know, staying low and investors believing that story. Or it could be Scottish mortgage finding a genuinely world-changing company, which is what its intention is. So it might be another Tesla or another Amazon. Moderna is its biggest position. And whenever I speak to the managers, they they say they've been you know, buying shares in that company when they can, and they're, they're hopeful that it can find a cure for cancer over the next 10 years. So if you believe in that growth story, you believe the managers can find those winning companies, then yeah, now might be a good time to invest. I'd also say, you know, alongside healthcare being exciting, 
artificial intelligence is making headlines at the moment. If there's going to be one UK fund or trust to really find a winner in that space, it would probably be Scottish Mortgage. That's where my money would be. But there are concerns about the private company limit. It's a 30%. That's the cap at the moment. So you might see a move to increase that, which would be something to consider when it happens, if it happens. I'd do some more analysis then. So there's lots of doubts at the moment, but also lots of opportunities. And it is it's definitely cheap compared to where it normally trades. And for similar reasons, private equity investment trusts, they're also being negatively impacted by the risk off attitude of investors that's accompanied the increase in interest rates. So, you know, for similar reasons, I mean, investors are sort of skeptical really about whether the valuations that private equity trusts are putting on the underlying holdings, whether they meet reality or not. You know, we've seen falls in uh, listed stocks. It seems to be that, you know, private equity trusts, the valuations, they're not fallen in line with the wider market. And there's also the issue of a time and lag on when these valuations are reported. So they're reported typically, there's typically a three month lag. The value of the assets, the net asset values, the NAVs, potentially do not reflect the reality of what those assets could be sold for for today. But, you know, the consensus amongst investment trust analysts is that they think investor pessimism towards private equity trusts and how they're valuing their um, underlying unlisted holdings is misplaced. You know, including Numus, the stockbroker, they said recently that they think that the net asset values of private equity trusts are more resilient than most expect. And they think this is due to um, investment trusts tending to focus on defensive, non-cyclical companies. Obviously, time will tell. But um, if you have the view that now is a, you know, if you do think that investor pessimism is misplaced, then there are some very wide discounts in that sector, including um, HG Capital, which, as mentioned earlier on, that has been the number one performing investment trust since April 1999. Of course, bear in mind with past performance, that is not necessarily a guide to the future. Fourth, I'd just end the episode by um, just quickly mentioning a fund picking idea. So this time of year, a lot of investors will be considering whether to go active or passive in their um, fund choice. I mean, my view is that I think they've both got a place in a portfolio. And um, as I've mentioned on this podcast before, I invest in both active and passive through my ISA and my pension. But I mean, if, you, if you're trying to find an actively managed fund that you know may deliver over the medium or long term, you have got an uphill task as there's thousands of funds out there. So one thing that I do as part of my research and because you want to, you know, I want to make sure that I'm investing in a fund that is actively making investment decisions. I want, you know, you're paying a higher fee. So I want the fund manager to be justifying that. I want them to look a lot different from the index. Now you can look at something called the active share ratio. So this active share ratio, it shows how much a fund's holdings differ from the benchmark. And the higher the ratio, the more active the fund manager is likely to be. And an active share score of less than 60% is considered a warning sign that a fund may not be active enough. But the problem with the active share ratio is that it is not widely available. Some firms do publish it, the majority tend not to. So while it's a, it's, this is a lot more crude than looking at the active share ratio, but what I simply do is I look on the fact sheet, I look at the top 10 holdings, and I compare the top 10 holdings with its benchmark index. And if there's a large overlap, for me, that sets off warning bells that the fund may not be active enough. So, you know, if seven or eight of the top 10 are the same as the index, then that does put me off um, investing in a fund. And then I take a quick look 
at how the fund has performed against its benchmark index, look over both the short term and the long term, so five years plus. And just by looking at the chart, I think if the, if the two lines are very similar over both short and long term time periods, for me, that is a sign that the fund is evidently not taking enough active investment decisions. Thank you to Sam and thank you for listening to this episode of On The Money. If you enjoyed it, please follow the show in your podcast app and tell a friend about it. And if you get a chance, leave us a review or a rating in your podcast app too. You can join the conversation, ask questions and tell us what you want us to talk about via email on otm at ii.co.uk. And in the meantime, you can find more information and practical pointers on how to get the most out of your investments on the Interact Investor website at ii.co.uk. See you next week.